All right. Nice to see everyone. Nihal, you're in uh, your new place. Did you yeah. want to give everyone your uh, exact address? Yes. Uh, yes, <laughs> I will 100% do that. <laughs> Honestly, um, with the way this area is located, even if I did, they probably wouldn't find it. Okay, okay. <laughs> like, it, it's one of those things where even when you get packages delivered, uh, they basically, for whatever reason, decided to build two different plazas, like two different complexes with different addresses, uh, but with the same unit numbers, like one road after the other. So, you know, for example, if there's a, there's two fifties on parallel streets, which makes absolutely no sense. Right. But um, so just hoping no one gets any of my important yeah, a purchases. Of, a, lot, you know? a lot of Amazon, Amazon packages that are not delivered. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I will be, this is my last uh, office hours in this address. I will be, unless something goes terrible, I'll be at my new place. <laughs> so very uh, excited about that. Uh, Lauren, you're living in the trees, so you're good to go. It doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, <laughs> I really appreciate, appreciate you being here. I'm Todd Braden. I'm the CEO of AI. We're coming up toward the end of February, which is a short month. You know, you, you feel it. You feel it when you're like building a business. You feel it when you're doing this stuff. Um, but uh, it's been a great month here. Excited to share a little bit about that. And maybe maybe next week as we look back on the week, uh, on the month. But um, I'll let you guys do a little intro and we'll hop into some topics here. Uh, my name is Lauren. I'm the accountant here. And uh, it's a good thing like February is so short because it's also like the coolest month of the year. So it's great to get out of the way. But I guess... We don't really have to worry about that either in our comfy, comfy offices at home. Hey everyone, Nihal here. Uh, <clears throat> digital strategist here at Speak. Uh, and yeah, it's it's been a quick fire, rapid fire month. Uh, I literally don't know how it's the end of the month already, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, and just looking forward to having some good conversation. A couple of topics here, but uh, maybe... I didn't really ask this morning, Lauren, but how are you feeling about this um, content creation? We talked about this a little bit last week, um, process that you've been shoved into. Any thoughts, any feedback, any sort of realizations as you're doing it of what we're trying to do with this? Maybe just a, a little bit of insight into that. Um, so far, I think it's pretty simple. Like I really haven't put too much um, research into it. I feel like there's going to be a lot more like researching and like thinking about how to present things as opposed to just like slapping things down as far as like what uh, Nihal wanted me to put. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely an investment of time that I'm not really sure uh, where we'll find for that. Uh, I, I was kind of under the impression that um, I was mostly just pointing to like titles and like creating actual pages and then like Yung Sheen was actually the one who's going to be like writing all the actual, like doing all the research and writing out um, the pages to be a bit more um, specific, but um, but then I'm also thinking like maybe specificity isn't is actually kind of counterintuitive for this type of work. Maybe you kind of want things to be like open, broad to you know catch as many uh, users as possible. Um, so uh, there's also something else I want to explore too, um, as far as like artificial intelligence. Uh, there was one I think it was Jasper AI that uh, I posted. You guys had also like brought up like a month ago as well, but it's just like automatically um, writing all these these posts, these content for us um, fairly cheaply too. But I'm curious if you guys have like tested around with that. Have you thought about that? Or are you kind of gotten to the mindset that like it has, has to be like written by a person or for it to uh, be effective? So, I mean, uh, we've had a couple of conversations around using AI content and AI copywriting um, to kind of improve or increase our output. Uh, I, I think the biggest issue normally is where this roadblock for us right now isn't necessarily um, the... Like the content creation itself to a degree is is definitely a bit of a roadblock, but it's it's just more what does our uh, pipeline and production look like, right? Because the, the way indexation works generally is once you actually create a page, it doesn't actually 
get indexed or start ranking really for a couple of months, depending on your site authority and a variety of number of factors. But the idea with what we're currently doing with this kind of MVP idea is we kind of get the URL structure up, we get the page just kind of indexed. And then once that's up, you know, uh, obviously we tweak the pages to be a bit uh, unique and a bit, uh, you know, not, not junk. But the whole idea is we're just testing out to see, can we go out with this very baseline page that has, let's say, very minimal, uh, it's, it's not as in-depth as we would like it to be, but can we see some traction on these pages for kind of these important terms that we're trying to rank for? And then you know, throw some cash and throw like a, a writer to actually improve uh, the content on that page. And, you know, I'm, I'm of two minds of it. Like I, I'm, I'm always one to just try to put out the best thing that we possibly can when we do launch something. But the flip side to that is, you know, uh, if we can kind of validate the need for, let's say, uh, a slightly larger workforce or slightly larger team on the content production side, then, you know, even just from a business perspective, it, it probably becomes easier to, you know, put forward a presentation or be like, Hey, this is why I think we need X, you know, dollars to put towards this initiative more or less. Um, so, yeah, so for now it's, it's quite rudimentary, but the problem with, uh, to go back to your initial question with AI copywriting, it's, it's it's interesting. I've, I've followed a couple of people and a couple of sites that have, uh, you know, these these kind of SEO experiments. Uh, people who who like their entire job is just doing experiments with SEO and you know trying to get figure out Google's algorithm. Uh, and a lot of them basically saw a lot of success when it first came out. So the first kind of six months to eight months that these uh, GPT three tools were on the market. There was a lot of success, but then over time, Google has basically, I guess, gotten even smarter about identifying auto-generated content more or less, uh, and is slowly, you know, penalizing and reducing the uh, traffic that a lot of these sites and pages get as well. So th that's that's just my big hesitancy with using it. Like, I think they're great for. You know, if you just want to brainstorm, like to use it as a brainstorming tool, like if you want uh, generic headlines, if you want generic like paragraphs, right? Like it's almost like placeholder text. Uh, but I think long term, uh, you actually end up paying for junk content that you usually need to rewrite anyways at the end of the day. Uh, and it, it could have been better from because I think Tyler and I tested out, I want to say about six months ago, some something like that. And neither of us were particularly impressed by it, uh, but um, may maybe it's better now. I mean, they, they did get sued or, well, cease and desist from Disney, right? Uh, so they had to change their name, which is kind of unfortunate. But I guess when you're, you've caught Disney's eye, that, that's that's pretty good. You're doing something right, maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's also been some like recent news about Google who's saying that they're just like not indexing all pages anymore. Like, they're just like, yeah, you know, unless your site's good quality, we're not going to waste our servers on your pages. So um, some really interesting discussion that came out of that. And, you know, it's like, basically, like, don't even, you can't even do anything about that page that didn't get indexed. You just have to go back and improve the rest of your site. Uh, and then maybe we'll deem that, you know, good enough so that we'll go and crawl that page that hasn't been crawled yet. So it's like, um, you know, Google really laying down some law around, around some of those things and um you know it's interesting when they the messaging is like oh you know just make the changes make your site better and wait a couple months and there's people out there like we don't have a couple months you know where we want to see these in the positive impacts now so um it's it you know it's interesting i think you know there's been before sort of these ai ones gpt3 there was these things called like spin rewriters which would you know, they would just rotate words out to try to make it completely original. Same thing happened with that. I used to love using those things. And then I realized they were garbage and uh, would penalize your site in the end. Um, but everyone always wants the quick way to win this stuff. And it's, sometimes it's not so it's not so quick. You need some people helping out and, and putting original content together. It's interesting on that front, right? Like, I think 
there's a place for this GPT-3 uh, creation, uh, content creation, but I think when, I, I don't know if you've heard of, uh, I think it's content fly, con content fly, content fly. So they're like, a, I think YC startup, but they're actually, they're human writers, right? So you basically pay, I mean, it's, it's actually quite pricey. It's uh, for 4,000 words a month, you get, it's 300 bucks for 4,000 <laughs> written words a month. So that's three articles, maybe like three kind of uh, higher or one really high quality article, right? Um, and I think the fact that this, uh, this exists, especially for more technical topics, like I think GPT-3 is great for e-commerce because a lot of product descriptions and stuff are fairly basic. The kind of uh, dis ways people describe shoes and the data sets they have describing things like shoes are like abundant, right? So when it comes to like, it's very easy for these uh, GPT-3 engines to kind of create, I guess, pretty good content that is, that is related to, let's say, a product. But I find when it comes to more technical language and more technical things, um, there, there might be a bit of a limitation on that front, just, just to get, uh, you know, uh, something that doesn't read super poorly. Uh, we can definitely test it out again. Uh, I, I guess it just depends on our end goal there and whether we can actually, like, for example, how much was that the one? Let me just uh, see. I, th I think it's like, if you want 20,000 words a month, it's 30 bucks. Um, but from what I remember, it's basically if you don't like what it wrote, reusing those credits, like it doesn't just like start over. So basically, let's say <laughs> you actually need to spin the system, you know, five times to get something that you like, instead of, you know, uh, 250 words, already before even getting something that you like, it's, you know, you've used 1250 credits or whatever. And yeah. I find that that's really how they've kind of gamified and, you know, added that, that's their growth engine, right? It's, oh, like you didn't like this first one. Here's, here's the next option, but it's going to cost you essentially. Yeah. Um, so pros and cons. Uh, I think if we can build this kind of human system uh, in a way that works for us, I do think it'll generally, generally speaking, lead to better results. But, you know, always, I mean, it feeds into our topic you know, one of our topics for today, just experimenting and figuring out, you know, what are different ways we can build out our uh, content, like our uh, conversion rate optimization and how do we create multiple new opportunities for people to a find our site, find our product and learn what we do. Uh, and obviously at the end of the day, get them to actually uh, sign up and test us out and you know hopefully we're solving a problem a meaningful problem for them as well uh, we don't really want people paying for something that they don't necessarily use yeah do you find it beneficial to have like maybe a mix between uh content writers and then uh ai like maybe you're having like the ai write out the actual all the copy and then as opposed to paying for a writer you pay more so for like an editor to actually go through it and clean it up uh, maybe it's kind of like more of a balance as well as price. Like you take like, what was it like $30 for automated versus like 300 for a human kind of find like the middle ground there and, you know, get like a lot of, you know, curated content. It's, it's, it's definitely something we can test out, I think. And I, I mean, if, if we're going to expense it, I'm more than happy to, to try, <laughs> but it, it's, it's um, like, that, that is definitely an avenue to consider where it's like, you let's say we do a test run with 20 pages and it's like okay here's the 20 ai created pages now we just find someone you know to edit it but then the kind of flip side to that is does that editing process almost become just rewriting right yeah. instead of just simple editing which you know will, will end up costing us i guess the cost of the software plus the human cost at the end of the day so uh yeah Def yeah. Definitely something for us to evaluate and then something well, we can evaluate. For testing too, maybe do like two pages instead of 20 pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. We heard this early on um, with um, transcription, automated transcription, and when our transcript editor wasn't good enough, because they, they would say like, it's easier for me to just uh, transcribe from scratch personally than edit all these errors in automated transcription. 
uh, that was like a pretty consistent um, consistent thing that we heard. I just thought that could be a quick just to pull this up and reference. No, I thought those were so funny. But, you know, first of all, four thousand words, but like there's no there's no decrease of price. <laughs> it's just it's stacks. Just going. It's just stacks three hundred every single. I mean, time. it's it's been working for them, but it's uh, yeah. I'm still I'm still trying to think. Uh, like they must be outsourcing a lot of their writing. For sure. It's the only way to do it. There's a couple, you know, like, you know, and then you can see over. So then once you go over, you're then caught, you know, at 12 cents per word, yeah. um, which, you know, starts to add, starts to add up. I, you know, used the hot in the past and, you know, it's that same thing. You pay for quality. And when you don't pay well, you don't get quality. Not that I'm saying that Hoth uh, is not, but you can actually pay, you know, you can go up in advanced and they've got a really beautifully streamlined system. But, you know, a lot of people are trying to take advantage of, say, something like the Hoth or Content Fly or, you know, some of these AI tools to just pump out content as quick as possible. 2003, you know, there, uh, that really could be very positive impact for you. But uh, things have changed a lot in these, you know, search engines, specifically, obviously, Google have gotten much more intelligent and, you know, have much better comprehension of what quality is and what a good site experience is and, uh, you know. I, I've been on many pages before, but I'm like, some robot wrote this or this was uh, definitely not spent much time on it. You'd read the page and that's a signal that uh, the content wasn't good enough. So uh, that's not a good signal. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts around this, uh, Lauren? You know, this wasn't an official topic on our docket today, but it's here. Okay. Um, what does, uh, just back to content fly, I'm just a bit confused. Are they a software company? It seems more like they're like a talent agency kind of thing. And like, I thought Y Combinator was just focused on like software companies too. It looks like they do. Um, I, I think the software side is their AI matching. Oh, okay. So they, they, they based, like based on, I guess, what you select, you know, like topic, maybe years of experience, uh, it'll match you with writers. So, so I guess almost like the flip of like, you know, Upwork or Fiverr, where you, you put a proposal in and then you get a variety of applicants, right? I, I think here their value offering seem to be, okay, we vet these writers, that's number one. We build this database, you know, we curate this database more or less. Mm -hmm. And then our system will basically churn, keep churning up recommendations for you for, you know, if you need someone that is super skilled in talking about, I don't know, potato farming, Right, like, well, our, our machine will find you someone that has twenty years experience potato farming. Yeah. Right, it's like okay. another another full fledged company built off of Airtable, more or less. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people claiming that they're software companies. You know, they are software companies, or at least they're technology enablers. Um, but they're really just connecting humans to humans. And in, in life, you know, and some a lot of the work that's going on here, like some of these advancements, whether it's content writing or you know, the transcription like we've seen, it's like technology is not quite there. Uh, and so humans are needed. Uh, so intelligent matching makes sense. Maybe a little bit uh, flimsy. We'll take it. We'll follow, see how they're doing. We're supporting them. I like anyone who gives people jobs uh, and uh, hopefully creates some good content for them. Um, we'll keep tracking ours for now, Lauren, you're helping us create content and hopefully we've got a couple other people, uh, helping us. And, you know, the goal is again, you know, how can we get to, you know, I guess to, to segue into this, this topic is sort of this idea of conversion rate optimization, which is first, when we started to speak very hard to do conversion rate optimization, when only one people, one person would sign up a week, you know, it was very hard to figure out like what's working, what's not, we have no signals. There's no information for us to, um, you know, just understand what to improve, what's not working, what's working. Now to this, now today we see much higher, uh, you know, volume, and it's allowing us to understand, you know, what we should be focusing on or where there are gaps in the business. And uh, I think, you know, a, a pretty consistent drive here for us is how do we make this this, you know, how can we make this funnel better? And you know, funnel is a very sales sort of crappy way to look at it, but it's really like someone has a problem, they find out about Speak, and we create an amazing onboarding experience. It's just the product experience as a whole that makes them want to continue using Speak. Um, so that's sort of the journey that we're on right now. We've seen some success over the last, I would say, 45, 60 days. And some of that thing, things were simple around just, you know, again, sort of giving this personalized offer plan where people feel like they have more control um, in the, the creation of the relationship um, that we have. Uh, 
Um, you know, there are other little things of just like decreasing price for the per minute that have also shown uh, less friction and allowed us to sort of boost up that conversion rate. And the next step that we're now asking ourselves or what I think we should always be asking ourselves is, is what's next? You know, what are these other things that can move the needle on it? And just one last element to add to this is we didn't probably format it as properly as we should, but building this as sort of like a hypothesis driven approach. So when we did the personalized plan, we did it in a very informal way where we just sort of thought like this feels like if we offered maybe a personalized plan where they only get where they, what they are, they truly need. And because of that, they actually get discounts because they're not paying for everything. Um, we think that would make uh, impact on people signing up and we were right. I think as we move forward, what we're now trying to do is say, you know, where are these friction points and conversion, you know, in people actually subscribing to the paid plan? What's the pain that they're facing? What's the impact that it is for us? And then what's the development or the workload for our team to make that change to make it happen? And then just like we do those OKRs, it sort of helps us prioritize those. Uh, and hopefully we also have a, you know, maybe a, a goal that we have in mind. So, um, you know, maybe just a, it's a quick brainstorm that can be happening here, but also just maybe any thoughts that you guys have around this process and seeing working anything that you'd love to test, any hypotheses that you have um, based on everything we're seeing. How have you uh, found the actual process for getting these uh, these custom plans uh, uploaded? Like, do you have a, you have like a lot of work on your side to like manipulate the actual uh, the first one, the first ones were tough, like not tough. It was actually, it was both, I was, it was, I mean, there was the process of creating them. And then there was more actually, I would say like the cognitive weight of customizing it, just like making decisions. Now I found like a pretty nice baseline of like a discount that we want to give. And, I'm, you know, even though we've allowed people to completely customize it, we're seeing some pretty, um, uh, consistent patterns and what people are asking for. And just as one example, like they want more hours included in their plans per month um, than what we've built in our, our you know, our pre-built packages. Or for example, they're not using the transcription and analysis. They're actually focused on say text analysis. And so we could actually remove that cost for them and from us. So those are like just, I mean, those are simple patterns that that I'm seeing, but it's been pretty easy and streamlined. And we all helped me build out a really nice sort of template that sort of also compares, here's what your plan would be if you didn't customize it all. And here's what it is now. And often when we configure this all together, it ends up being 50, you know, 50, almost 50% discount sometimes on a monthly plan. And then, you know, even a little bit more on an annual plan, which is obviously a really nice incentive for people to, to want to proceed. And it also helps quite a bit with the uh, one onboarding challenge that we're facing of not 100% uh, knowing exactly like why people are signing up to, like you kind of put a checklist and you can just say, uh, you can ask and hopefully they'll, uh, you know, put it into an actual answer there. But a lot of the times, like there's no reason for them to put an answer in, it kind of just helps us. But like with this way, we can actually understand like why they're using the software um specifically because they're going to choose like what they want to use so that's a lot easier for us to track there even things like job title like we ask and they're happy to fill out so we you know we talked about this the last couple of times but like there's more questions that we ask but because there's an, an, an incentive for them to actually fill out this form into mm -hmm. the software they seem much more willing to do it and just one insight i thought was interesting the other day was i sort of displayed transcription minutes as per minute and per hour just so they could like sort of see with their mind of like how to format it and the, one of the feedbacks i got was like am i paying for both of those basically like they were confused they thought they were paying both per minute and per hour i was just trying to help them sort of understand what it would be so now i'm only doing per hour uh and it makes the whole thing simpler so now we have a little bit of insight into well, maybe there's a better way to display our pricing across everything from this this process which is great yeah and i think you know, we, we've been quite good um, about thinking up thinking up an idea, testing it out. Uh, but then I think I want us to like discuss this as well, but kind of this, what, you know, what, what does this review and iteration step from there look like? And when do we do that? Uh, when does it make sense to do it? Uh, you know, it, it doesn't end up being like a schedule thing. Do we maybe end up, okay, you know, uh, every second week of the month, 
we, you know, review all the kind of experiments or tests we tried out, kind of do a quick overview of them, and then basically nix the ones that aren't really showing any progress and uh, keep improving the ones that are showing at least some signs of, you know, success. Because uh, what's great about this, like the personalized plan, uh, for example, is the uh, offer and the process by which we've gone about giving this offer, I mean, as of now is fairly rudimentary, um, right? Like there is still a bit of like manual work that goes in from your end that um, I'm sure if we kind of just set aside a bit of time to build in, we could probably just completely or close to completely automate it. But it's, it's once again, okay, so if we evaluate and you're like, okay, I have, you know, I, I don't mind at this, let's say at this stage, do, taking the five minutes extra that it takes me to put this together, then we can leave it and move on to the next one. But if you're like, oh, you know, now we're getting 10 requests a day that I'm losing an hour of my time putting these together. How do we kind of remove that, you know, reduce that hour for me, uh, more or less. And I think maybe the way, maybe for us to schedule it in, come up with, okay, here are three things I think we should test, pull them, uh, basically, I don't know if we want to vote on it, but be like, okay, I think these are the three, you know, but let's say we have 10 total. These are the three we think will have the highest impact. Uh, we're going to keep this experiment going for, you know, we'll have a two week check-in, just, you know, quick update. And then a month at the month point, we'll actually review like hard KPIs and like hard uh, stats that actually give us a better idea of how the thing is doing. Then once we do that final review, do we improve or stop doing it? essentially. And obviously certain initiatives, I think we need to be also aware that not everything will work on a one month timeline. Some things might be, you know, we'll need to test out for three months before we actually know whether it's any good or not. But generally speaking, I, I, I do think we can maybe be a bit more uh, data-driven and efficient too with how we're going about this. Do you guys have any uh, hypotheses hypothesis is that you want to uh, test out any ideas of uh, any changes you want to um, just play around with so far, or um, is it kind of, you kind of already have an idea of what's working and it's just a matter of uh, expanding on that. Uh, I, okay, I can go. Um, I, I think one thing that we have been talking about, and it's actually point two uh, that I wanted to talk about today is this continuation of our um, marketing or sales experience, uh, you know, and further integrating that with our actual product, right? And will, will that actually have uh, an impact? Because right now, right, like as far as like our acquisition goes, our acquisition is doing pretty well, right? Like from, from where we were six months ago to now, like there's been quite, uh, quite significant growth. Uh, but now what's happening when you think about it, People come in through the website um, almost exclusively. That's usually their only touch point if they successfully sign up for the app, right? So they've seen the website. They were convinced by the website or the page, whatever they landed on. They signed up for the application. But then now once they're in the application, I feel like we still don't do enough to push people, not, not push people, but kind of incentivize people to actually take certain actions that might, uh, you know, lead to them or lead to a higher chance of them converting, whether that's actual promotion of offers through the app, right? Or making it uh, easier for them to see certain offerings that we have, for example, like this personalized plan, a lot of uh, people's touch points with it tend to be. So first touch point is usually like in an email, right? So if they miss that touch point, you know, there's maybe a banner on the website or on some of the app pages, right? But once again, it's it's not something that's always, let's say, there for them. So let's say for whatever reason, it doesn't pop up on the day that they're not in the app, right? Like it, because of the way we're, we've set, set up the banners, the way we're testing the banners, they sign in, it's showing them test A versus test B and test A doesn't talk about the personalized plan at all versus what if next to, you know, um, their free trial box, right? There's like a free trial box encouraging them to up, up, uh, upgrade. Uh, what if within that or next to it, there's like, hey, did you know you can also build your own plan? 
and then you know add an extra CTA that actually lives there for them. So that let's say they log in four times, maybe the fourth time they're like, oh, what what does this button do, right? And they click it, gives them another chance to actually move towards the step that we've been seeing success on. Um, and then, uh, you know, like even just integrating some of our, let's say our, like the product marketing, right? Like how, how do we actually use the product itself in a way that encourages people to um, not only return, you know, like kind of this idea of building growth loops and uh, usage loops through uh, through application-based uh, triggers. Because right now uh, people are, let's say, they don't care about another, oh, hey, here's some fun tips to use our, you know, this 12th SaaS platform that you signed up to in two weeks. Instead, what if it's like, uh, I, I know Tyler's discussed this before too, but here is, you know, here is a summary of XYZ. Uh, you know, would you like more insights like this? You know, you can pick the insights that you want to receive on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, whatever it is, right? Um, maybe it's us building in some sort of referral bonus or a referral program where it's like, hey, did you know if you invite your friends, uh, you can get 60 minutes added to your account, whatever it is, or your free trial extended by 14 days, right? Like, I think there's different ways for us to do that, that don't rely solely on just pure traditional marketing, right? Like whether that's SEO or email, whatever it is, we can actually use our app platform because people are in there, right? So why not try to sell to them in the platform as well, right? It doesn't need to be an intrusive sale, but it's it's pushing them further down that funnel so that they have more reasons to actually pay. Um, you know, like a lot of phone apps do this extremely well, right? A lot of mobile apps, because they have to, right? Because it's, it's not like you're interacting with them through a website necessarily. Like your homepage or your dashboard or whatever it is in many cases ends up becoming your marketing page. It ends up becoming your landing page. So, you know, as, as for our dashboard and our different app pages, how do we start turning those into useful, useful pages that serve both a product use case and, you know, like a marketing use case and a sales use case. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's something for us to build out and work, work on, um, you know, and it's not something that I necessarily have experience doing, but it's something that I am quite eager and uh, interested in actually playing around with and testing out and figuring out how we can actually make that work, right? Like with the dev schedule and, uh, what's the best way to actually get around to implementing that as well. Yeah, I can imagine that like after a user's actually, you know, gone through the website and signed up, they'll probably never come back to that website again. It's probably just going to be immediately log in and go from there. So they're probably going to be missing a lot of, um, um, at least like deals like marketing um, hmm. focuses, that, that, but there's, exactly. you know, what else could they be missing by not going onto the website? Is there a lot of like, um, like software updates, is that mostly on the website or is that mostly on like the actual, um, the application? Like where are you going to get like the quickest or I guess the most easiest way to find out about software updates or is it through emails or? Like as, as in like product changes or like yeah. thing? Um, we, we do um, both. I mean, for the most part right now, it's mainly through, uh, like it's mainly an app like whenever we do add features or add new things to the platform. But, you know, if the feature is big enough, um, like there's there's a saying in PR, for example, right? Like not everything is news, no matter how much you think it's news, right? Because um, obviously us, uh, you know, building product, you're, you think every little thing that you do is like amazing, right? But the vast majority of users only really want to hear about you or hear from you when it's something that would kind of, make them do a double take right oh like oh that's cool right that's that's something that is different from oh like we changed uh you know this text box whatever like there's like evernote for like or like some other apps for example they'll send like they'll make this huge deal about oh yeah now you know like you can you can like type in three different fonts instead of two different fonts and i'm like okay great all right <laughs> like sick super super useful thanks for wasting my click Right. 
so I, I, I wouldn't want us to end up doing that. So I, I think that to your point about people not going back to the website, uh, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like we do have a fair number of returning users just based off our analytics, even though that's just a 30 day timeframe. But it's, it's like, I think once people are in the app, generally speaking, they probably don't want to go back to your website or go to another page to actually find useful information, for example. So within the app, does it make sense? For example, we've built out these guides or we've built out these comparisons or we've built out some of these web pages um, that do convert for us and do drive value for readers. Are any of them also relevant to build out within the app experience itself so that it's like a continuous experience, right? So for example, if someone comes in um, through a, you know, uh, transcribe your Zoom meeting page, does it, would, would it not make sense then? Let's say we've built out like a huge list of Zoom resources to actually have that resource incorporated into their Zoom experience within Speak, right? So whether that's through product tours, whether that's through like an actual guide section, whatever it is. And it could totally just link back to the website, but to actually have, let's say a page or a link or a button uh, on the app that actually brings them back to that resource, right? Um, and I think that our, you know, our, our I, I know we've struggled with this, uh, but our dashboard, I, I think if we start trying to think about how do we make it a, landing page for our users, right? A place that's useful for them from just the information it provides, but also something that keeps them excited about the product. And, you know, like, how do we sell to them using this page that they see every single time that they land on our platform, right? Like, uh, obviously, once they sign up, let's say, we would probably cut back on maybe some of the promo content and some of the, like, you know, pushier push your content that we uh, send their way. But when they're not a, a customer yet, if we're going to lose them anyways, we might as well try to not lose them, <laughs> right? Uh, even if we are maybe a little bit, if even if, if we maybe annoy them a little bit. And at its core, it's just like build a good product, give a great experience. Hopefully, uh, you know, you win uh, in the end. And like we saw like, I have a page here on this Google Sheet where it's like friction points in the application. And I really like that page. Came out of a, uh, a flurry of frustration, I think, one day. And a lot of things sort of came out at once. And I think one of it was like there was a person who was actually trying to sign up and like like was so upset on intercom that they just like couldn't figure out how to pay. Like we on a free trial didn't have a button that said subscribe to paid plan. You know what I mean? And it was so obvious after the fact that she's like, how the hell do I get to the pricing page? And then on the pricing page, you know, one of the functions wasn't working the way it should. And like, you know, you almost lose a customer right there. Like I've, I've, I've been, I've been 95% through a checkout solution or something. And they, something they've done has pissed me off and I did not purchase that thing and I never returned back again. Um, so like anytime we can avoid, you know, those things, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's going to make an overall, you know, good impact on, on what we're doing here. And then I think there are other things that, um, you know, maybe we need a little bit more data on. And I would say something like LogRocket has helped us sometimes. Amplitude is another tool that we use for trying to figure out the events. And like, it's not set up ideally. Uh, and so, and we're not using it in its ideal way, but at least we can see, for example, some of the most highly trafficked or engaged with functions or pages on the site. And so with that, then we are helping us prioritize those pages or whether. So as Nihal sort of talked about here, it's like every single person who signs up for the first time lands on the dashboard. Uh, the dashboard, not that great. Um, you know, it's okay, but it's clunky. It's too much stuff going on. And as Nihal said, there's two sides, like either we, you know, drive a function in that app that then creates value or we educate, uh, you know, like there's, there's more that we can do there. Um, and, and so we now need to make hypotheses around if we remove this from the dashboard, or if we add this to the dashboard, um, then we will, then this will happen or, 
that's you know me and Michal talked about this week sometimes it's like maybe there needs to be a dashboard version that's for the first time sign up versus um, someone who's returning who actually has media and our hypothesis is we need to split this experience because it's not tailored enough to what stage they are at the product uh, so there's things like that and then I just try to look at this closed loop which is what truly matters here though is transcription accuracy in insights are valuable one of the things we're working on right now is improving the sentiment analysis and then ideally what we've talked about before is there's this opportunity for say you upload a media you leave speak you get this sort of email you get this delivery of valuable information outside of speak so there's also ways that once that relationship is built that we can actually create value outside of speak which is obviously um a good a good thing to do so um if there's any other quick things there I was like yeah we built a zoom integration hook into zoom now everything's automatic you don't need to go upload things every time so another hypothesis that we've continued to have is the less manual actions that someone has to take the more frictionless the experience is the more they upload media into speak ideally the more value is created so there's like bigger hypotheses like that that we're then trying to build a bunch of different things around um I have many more, but I'll stop for now. Uh, uh, <laughs> I have a whole list. Yeah, just, I guess maybe just a final point, like with our uh, dashboard, for example, I think, for example, we, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever done this, but what if we just, what if it was an empty state with like just three CTAs, right? Like for, for, as an example, um, how would that impact you know the user because i i think we've done things like add stuff to our dashboard but i don't know if we've ever just like stripped it bare and actually seen if anything changed for example right like what if we removed everything but these three things that we're trying to get people to do will that impact their experience negatively for example right or are there literally a bunch of things right now that we have on our dashboard that people have never touched and in all, in all, in reality, there's no reason for them to be on the dashboard as a result of people never touching them, right? Because I think, especially with people's attention and just screen real estate, so like it's so valuable. If something doesn't like make an impact, should it really be there? And uh, maybe, maybe just figuring out how do we look at it through that lens, um, not necessarily in like a reductive way, but just in a way that we only give people what is truly valuable to them. And then maybe over time, like as we have more capacity and, you know, our, our, our kind of design language and uh, understanding of our users grow as well, we can actually get to the point where people can maybe just build their own dashboards, right? Where we won't even have to like do that for them. It's, hey, here's a bunch of widgets. Which ones do you want? Right. And then it populates in there. Um, so. Well, it's, it's interesting. I know, for example, I like, but then there's also this difference of like, so uh, if you are a new user, guess what? You don't have any recent activities because you haven't done any activities. But then as, as Valtel pointed out, and, I, and then I you know sort of verified through the actual engagement is that a lot of people, once they actually do have media in, they actually use the recent activities widget to jump to their most recent file. So I think we also need to, just like everything, you sort of have to separate your, the people and who they are and, uh, you know, where they are at in this life cycle within speak and using the product. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, I mean, lots of, there's so much that you can do here. You realize it's like a whole other, it's a whole other sort of muscle that you're pulling from just like creating in the beginning and the beginning, you're just trying to figure out like, can, we, can this thing work at all? And now it's like a lot more trying to find these places to optimize and, you know, I think we're doing a, a, a decent job, but I think we're not necessarily um, always prioritizing properly or maybe moving as quickly as we as we should, because it seems like, again, one of the things you hear, which you shouldn't always just listen to what people say, but it's just like the more experiments you can do quickly, learn from them and iterate them, iterate on them, the more likely you are to, you know, make the impact that you need to see the business grow and, 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 and be sustainable and viable and uh, a good business. So. Um, Okay, I'm. Uh, I, I feel uh, fulfilled uh, in that topic. Any other last notes on on that? Um, I think heading into the direction of actually giving people more choice of over how like things are, you know, set up is probably the best course of action. Like we saw that 
um, we saw a pretty big increase with the actual like custom plans there. And then like, again, yeah, I think the best idea for the, uh, the dashboard is to have people, you know, choose what they want to see on the dashboard, have like different uh, lenses and different widgets. And um, I think like, that's kind of like the trajectory we've been going in over like the last, I don't know, three months or so, even with like the whole, like the folder management, the things are getting a lot more customizable. So um, just trying to think of like other things that can be more customized as well. Like we had the whole, um, you know, customizable keywords and all the extractions there, but I'm not entirely sure like how much that was used. I think it's like, you gotta have to find a good balance of giving people choice, but then too much choice, they won't make a choice. Uh, trying to watch something at night and there's 9,000 options of content and you can't figure out everything so you just lay in bed uh and <laughs> but it's it's something we've seen is like people we have this idea of like you know hey let people customize but sometimes people just want to be given the right thing and uh you know we create a lot of cognitive weight by asking them to customize something especially if it might be something novel like they're doing with speak and a lot of times we see someone just wanting to convert audio to text uh, and all this other stuff becomes a lot of thinking um, that you weren't necessarily prepared or, or, or you know, hoping, to, hoping to go into. Um, so, uh, Neil, you have one last uh, topic here. Uh, we are missing our, uh, uh, our dev insider information on this. Uh, I'm not sure if you do want to bring it up, but we can touch, touch on that. Uh, yeah, maybe we can <clears throat> wait for Vassal to talk about it since it is like th this question was more for me to understand the uh, limitations uh, and, you know, like the different factors that might be holding us back on, let's say, adding certain features or adding certain functionality to the platform that, uh, you know, uh, we'd like to deliver on and what, what actually goes into picking the solution from a technical perspective too, right? Because obviously we've talked about this multiple times, whereas without that technical insight, there's a bunch of times when I think we approach things with the mindset of, oh, this can't be that hard. And then when we actually talk to, you know, Fatsoul, it's like, yeah, so in order to do this one thing, we actually need to do these 20 things first, right? <laughs> so, yeah. And just, you know, I guess quickly what you're referring to, because I have Spend, you know, quite a bit of time looking at this and trying to figure out is, is you know, basically how do you pick the right speech speech to text engine? Uh, speech to text is powering so much of infrastructure today, and you know, even talking to companies who are sort of building like data lakes within you know these big reservoirs of information for their companies, they have so many um, audio and video files, and they're literally applying speech to text to everything. And like generally, no, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because that's what knows much more, but like. Generally, there's a couple baselines that if you look at the benchmarks of what companies are looking at or like sort of testing different speech recognition systems is what they're looking for. Like one is this word error rate, which is, you know, uh, you know, what is the percentage of words wrong in a given sample? Um, and, you know, generally you're looking for things above 90 and a lot of them claim to be 90, you know, 95 to 97, 98%. But once you put it in a true test, you see that that's not actually, you know, generally once you see it like with cra crappy quality audio, different people talking, there's all those other things. It, it, that, that quality, that the accuracy really starts to suffer. A couple other things that we've really been focused on that are important is like some speech to text systems serve your like a sentence up with sentence by sentence timestamping, which means you have a, an understanding of the timing of the sentence, but you don't have a, a timing of this exact word. And that actually has a lot of ramifications for what you're doing for analysis, or if you see like, um, you know, those audiograms where like, you know, the script does them really beautifully, where it's like, as the person says the word, it's highlighted, that's time by time stamping, that's enabling them to then play with that animation. So um, by having that data, it opens up a lot of possibilities. A couple of quick last things that really, I think make a difference is like speak, or speaker identification. Um, there are now obviously systems like, you know, Zoom here, um, if they format it right, it's like, you know, who's talking when, when they're like systems are really natively integrate, you know, integrated, but generally in the end, what people are taking is like an MP3 or a wave or an MP4 file, dumping it in and then a speech recognition system is doing its best to understand who's talking when. So 
that is not good accuracy. It really messes up a lot of the other things for you. And so those are, I mean, those are just a couple of cool pieces that are continually, we're getting asked about that we've seen as challenges. And there are other factors when evaluating vendors, but it's actually in a way become a pretty democratized technology um, with pretty standard you know, outputs, some punctuation, does it punctuate well, does it ask questions, you know, periods and question marks, uh, you know, there's, there, you know, can you train it? Uh, like there's a lot, there's a lot there, but I would have much more to say, but uh, I have faced my own pains and frustrations while looking at this experience. And one day in my own mind, where I would build my own speech recognition from scratch, it wouldn't be me building it, it would be many people building it, but that's a lot of maintenance, that's a lot of work too. And that's not necessarily, not, it's, that it's not easy. There's ways that you know, there's a lot of code out there that shows you how to do it, but it's a lot of work and it's a lot of maintenance. Um, so it's not in our, not in our pipeline at the moment, that's for sure. Um, I don't know if that helped at all. Yeah. It's a lot of work that's uh, better left for other people. And then you yeah. can piggyback on that. You know, you can't match, like just if you look at AMP, say Amazon and Google, and you know, you can't match the budgets that they have, the development talent that they have, and also the amount of data that's flowing into their system that then they're using it to sort of increase. But uh, improve, but like you also see there's challenges, right? Like there were a lot of the original speech recognition systems were built for more short form, um, like sort of Alexa or Google assistant inputs. And so they weren't really built for long conversational, um, transcription. And that's where, you know, there's opportunities, companies like Speechmatics, Deepgram, um, sort of came out and said, we're focused specifically on long form conversations and making sure that those are as accurate as possible. And uh, so even within something that seems pretty, you know, standard, there's nuances to it. And if whole systems are trained around long form conversations versus short form Alexa, Google, you know, assistant responses, um, you can have a big difference in the quality there. And then cost, everything is cost. How much does it cost? generally per minute, but then you see other companies try to trick you and they'll do per second. Uh, and then you got to calculate just, you know, then you got to calculate how many seconds, well, everyone knows how many seconds are in a minute, but it's annoying. You know, they'll try to sort of uh, break your sort of mental model on it because you're used to saying per minute and then they'll do it per second or per 15 seconds uh, and then make you do the math on everything there. So um, there's no easy answer. And from what I've seen, there's trade-offs um, with every speech recognition system there is today. And I think that's why people are looking for support. They're trying to find solutions. You don't, they don't necessarily know. And there's a lot of information floating around there. Sometimes it's even a little bit out of date. And so um, they're looking for reliable vendors to help solve these problems for them. Okay, cool. That's all, sorry if I got anything wrong there. I did my best here. Um, I'm good. Uh, we kept this short and uh, concise today. I know it's been a, a you know a, a, a long but short month. Uh, I'm glad to spend it with you guys. I'm glad to see some great progress here. Anything uh, you want to say to the people before we wrap up uh, February? Go ahead, Neil. There's two. It's a mute stand. That, 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 was, that was too well timed. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I think for anyone that does listen and you know if, if they have any ideas or questions or things that they'd like us to talk about uh, or anything they'd like to hear about whether that's uh speak related startups related right just and i guess maybe for you like uh life of a business owner right like i i, th I think that would be it would be pretty neat because we always love hearing uh you know when we do get the occasional feedback and uh message from from people that are following this journey so mm -hmm. yeah yeah and uh, to add on to that anybody that does listen if they ever want to actually join us for a call more than welcome nice person lauren nice person Michal. yeah give us uh we, we enjoy the feedback we enjoy the love we enjoy anyone who uh who tunes in and has been part of this journey so thank you so much hope you have a great rest of the day and uh, we'll see you see you next week